it's Sam, and I just want to let you know that you're about to listen to an episode uh, that I've just recorded with Scott Clifton, aka Theoretical Bullshit. Scott is an absolute legend, and we just had a blast of an episode where we just shot back and forth thoughts and opinions and ideas, and we're just really honest with uh, our journeys and how we have come to the positions we're in. And it was so great to hear Scott reflect on why he began his YouTube channel, why he began to have these conversations, and what these conversations mean to him today. He doesn't doesn't need to carry these sorts of things on. He's a very well-known actor who has a career there and a, a massive following, and he doesn't need to uh, engage like he does. Does, but he's willing to because he cares about this stuff and you can really hear that in his voice and the way he articulates himself and you can tell that he has a solid head on his shoulders I mean this guy knows far more than me so very fortunate to have spoken to him at all but yeah I hope you hear this in the conversation and I hope you enjoy it just an FYI you can hear Scott tapping the table a little bit during this conversation Everything's still fully understandable and it makes complete sense, but I wanted to highlight that noise in case anybody's listening to this via the podcast rather than watching it on YouTube. It's very obvious on YouTube what's going on, but via podcast sometimes you can wonder what those weird sounds are, so there you go. Now I've cleared that up. Enjoy. Welcome to When Belief Dies, a podcast honestly reflecting on faith religion and life. This podcast is all about listening. We want people to share their reasons for faith or their reasons for non-belief so that we can better understand what has or has not convinced somebody of the claims that different religions profess. This is a journey, it's not a destination, and I'm really excited to have you listening with us each week as we delve into different viewpoints from different parts of the world to try and uncover the truth. Enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of When Belief Dies. My name's Sam and today I'm joined by Scott. Scott, how's it going? I'm great. How are you, Sam? It's a, it's a, a big compliment to, to be here talking to you, so thank you. Thanks, dude. It's uh, I was I was I was genuinely shocked when you responded to my email and went, "Yeah, okay, let's 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 chat." And I was like, "Oh crap! I did, I did not think that one would come off." Um, but yeah, it's it's so good to have you. <laughs> I think um, it's just I, there's 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 something about the way that you articulate things on on your YouTube videos, which I'm aware that you've kind of not done for a little while now, but also um, in other conversations that you've done more recently. Let me think something like the one you've just done done with um, Paul Ogier, um and how you're kind of um, oh, yeah basically breaking into these this sort of like an almost like apologetics but the reverse of apologetics which is uh, really really interesting so i kind of wanted to to get you if that's okay scott just to kind of talk to us about kind of how you began this journey of kind of um talking about sort of um philosophy and religion and these sorts of philosophical ideas and then kind of how how how, how you've got to where you are today really if that's okay yeah of course uh i'll just um I'll just start talking and then uh, about how I got to where I am. And if I'm, if I'm spending too much time on one topic or one, you know, and, and you want me to like move it the fuck along, <laughs> I'm happy to do that for Sounds you as good, well. Man. Uh, uh, yeah. So I, 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 um, I grew up in, uh, in Southern California to two parents who were uh, philosophical people. Uh, my dad kind of grew up reading, you know, DT Suzuki and a lot of like Eastern philosophy, Zen Buddhism stuff. So he was always interested in that. And my mom grew up Roman Catholic, but when she met him, 
uh, she became far more interested in the Eastern philosophy stuff. And, uh, but, but, you know, God was, God was, a uh, in our vocabulary in my household, but it was sort of, it was like a, a, a Einstein, uh, Spinoza type idea of God. My mom would use the word God metaphorically, you know, like, you know, that I want to know God's thoughts, the rest are details. That was, she was talking about the universe. And I knew that as a kid, I, I took God to be a kind of allegory, uh, as a child. Um, but we talked about, you know, deep questions and stuff like that. It was always, you know, uh, we, we were thoughtful people, I think. It wasn't until uh, the, there, was a, there was a major earthquake in Los Angeles uh, in, in 1994, which caused us to move. And uh, even though California is, is typically, you know, sort of a, a bastion of godless liberalism, there, there are certainly pockets of conservatism and religiosity. And we ended up moving to... Uh, another town in Southern California that was mostly evangelical Christian. Uh, and that was where I started to realize that uh, God was not something, it, it wasn't a metaphor. And it also wasn't something like Santa Claus where, you know, it's the kind of thing that parents just talk to their children about to get them to be moral, to behave. And then they, you know, everybody grows up and grows out of the idea of God. It became very clear to me that God, uh, this was something that people took really seriously. And suddenly all of my new friends, uh, or if I, if I wanted them to be my friends, I kind of had to let them uh, practice uh, apologetics and evangelism on me. Uh, and so that, you know, going over to friends' houses, I would get the lectures from their parents about how, you know, evolution is from Satan, you know, all that stuff. And so I, you know, they, they would give me the Bible to, I have like, six Bibles that I got from six different kids' families, you know, back in the day. I still have them. Uh, you know, and like the case for Christ and evidence that demands a verdict and C.S. Lewis, mere Christianity and stuff like that. And so I, I just because I, I wanted to be able to have friends and participate in these conversations, even though I, I didn't start out with an interest in it, I started reading all that stuff and going to church with them and going to the youth groups and sort of got my immersion into um uh, you know, evangelical Christianity, but I knew, but I, but I was never convinced that nothing, I, I don't think at any point, and I wish this weren't true, because uh, uh, I, I wish I knew what it was like to sincerely believe in something like this, uh, uh, but at no point was I ever actually convinced, and I, but I didn't have a lot of answers to, you know, I, I, you know, there are still a lot of, where do you think the universe came from then? Well, how do you know right and wrong? And, you know, questions like this. And so I started, I think this was around the time that AOL became a thing, uh, AOL chat rooms. And I just started going into AOL, like Christian chat rooms and saying, Hey, does anybody want to talk to me about? I'm an atheist, and I, I I want to get you know better at these conversations. I think I'm like 14 or 15 around this time, and I started having a lot of conversations. Some you know some of them were uh, reverends, some were actual theologians, some were just other people that had an interest in apologetics. And a lot of the time, they were much much smarter than I, and I would get my ass handed to me and walk away with my tail between my legs and have to figure out where. I went wrong in the conversation or what position I took that's just not sustainable, that doesn't work because there are too many good objections to it or, uh, and it was just this sort of like cumulative humbling experience 
Meanwhile, I was a terrible student in school. I was a, a, a really slow learner. I, I knew that I didn't, paradoxically, as, as much as I was becoming to be interested in, in philosophy and religion and theology and stuff like that, I knew that I didn't want to do anything academic with my life. Uh, and I spent most of my high school years trying to figure out how to escape. Uh, eventually, my parents let me... Uh, you know, uh, take the, the GED, you know, and I got my, my diploma, even though I never actually graduated. But I, I realized that I think around that time, I had something to say, because I'm a slow learner. Uh, I'm a slow reader, and I'm a slow learner. And I, so I, I had this ability to explain the things that took me a long time to learn, in the way that I wish somebody had explained it to me. And I think YouTube sort of came out of that. Uh, there, there was one gentleman who posted a YouTube. I mean, th this was back in the day when like YouTube was just getting started and it was mostly like cat videos and skateboarders hitting their balls on, you know, stairway rails. And, and then I came across this, this small YouTube community of people who were asking each other thoughtful questions, making challenges to each other. This was also back at when uh, video responses were a thing on YouTube. There was actually a button and you could click on somebody's YouTube video and, and it would automatically like put the camera on you and you could just do a live response video and it would get published. They don't have that anymore. But it really, that sort of system fostered a lot of great conversations where I continued to have my ass handed to me and what, you know, and, and have to figure out where I went wrong. And, um, but it was, it became much more uh, it, it just started to get more and more sophisticated. I started to learn more and more, uh, you know, what the concepts were. And I started to have a philosophical vocabulary, which um, is, is more helpful than it should be. I think somebody who's versed in, in philosophy should be able to take what a layman is, is struggling to explain and give them the tools to explain it better or, or you know, steel man them. And not a lot of people were doing that. A lot of people were saying, you clearly just don't know what you're talking about in a sort of dismissive way. And that, that bothered me. So then I started reading um, like real philosophy, uh, but, I, I, but I never, it wasn't until actually this year that I started reading like the great works of atheist philosophers. I, I, I never, uh, that was, I never, I don't think I ever got any of my opinions or, or arguments from a, a philosopher that was sympathetic with my view. I think it was all, I was just reacting to a lot of uh, Christian apologetics, even Christian apologetics at a really high level, you know, planting and stuff like that. Um, uh, yeah, uh, I think, yeah, and that's sort of how I got to where I am today. I also, by the way, I ended up quitting high school and I got very, very, very lucky it was, I was stupid and reckless and irresponsible. I should not have dropped out of high school. I never went to college. I don't have any formal training or education at all. Um, but I got lucky and I got cast. Uh, I, I wanted to be an actor and I ended up getting cast like as soon as I left high school on a, an American soap opera called General Hospital. Uh, and I did that for four or five years. And then uh, I left and then I, I did a show in New York and did that for about a year. And then I came back to LA uh, and, and now I'm on another show uh, called The Bold and the Beautiful, which is what I've been doing for the last uh, decade or so. 
Uh, and so that's my day job. So uh, again, I, I have no uh, real credibility <laughs> when it comes to philosophy, but um, I find it interesting. And I think I, I think I can explain difficult concepts. And I, I think that's why uh, the, the YouTube channel became popular was just that I could sort of dumb down concepts that were difficult for me to understand. Um, so yeah, I, I think, I think that covers it. Yeah, no, that's, that's, re that's really cool. I think um, what, what I find fascinating about, about your story is, is the fact that you are this, this actor who is um, doing something completely different to kind of theology, philosophy, um, but yet you're still, you've still got like an arm in this world, which I think is absolutely fascinating. Um, I often find, I don't know why, but I often find a lot of people like kind of online dealing with this sort of stuff are usually kind of like, like, like me, like kind of pale and nerdy and like hidden in the corner, like behind the closet, like just like tweeting people angrily and that's it. But, you know, to, 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 I think what's what's really nice, especially about the last ten years, is, is you're seeing more and more people stepping out and actually being comfortable, being honest with their with their positions and going, "Hey, I do, you know, I'm a I'm a grocer, or I, you know, I'm a bodybuilder, or whatever it is like, but I have these opinions and I, and I have a mind, and this is what I think, and this is why." I think because of that, we're we're seeing really good conversations starting to kind of come to the come to the fore, which is fantastic. Um, so I kind of wanted I kind of wanted to ask then. So why, what was it that drove you to kind of begin your Twitter account? Um, the, I think it's called theoretical bullshit. If I'm right. Right. Um, and to begin to kind of like get involved with these sorts of things. So, for instance, the other day I saw that you were uh, you were having a back and forth with Wade uh, Maverick uh, Christian, um, kind of talking about like logic and stuff. Like you're you're definitely active in this community. So why? What what is it that drives you? At this point, it's the closest thing to a hobby I have. I, I don't. The hobby seems. Hobby doesn't seem quite right because I, I I genuinely care about this and I think that and I'm trying to be helpful. I think in some way I, I I'm I'm hoping for like a net positive outcome in the world. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing this stuff. Uh, so yeah, maybe hobby's not right, but but it can't, it comes out of you know even back to when I was in high school and I was having these you know sort of being pressured by all my Christian friends to to study Christianity that that just sort of cultivated in me an interest that started with you know this one specific religion and the more I delved into that the more I realized that any one of those given topics in apologetic you, you take something like the Kalam cosmological argument right this is just this is a, and granted it was invented by a Muslim, but it's been sort of, uh, you know, exported to Christianity. And now it's, it's mostly used as an apologetic for Christianity. And it's this very specific argument for the existence of God. But you, it, once you pop open the hood and you look underneath, you start having to ask questions about, you know, myriology and cosmology and time and space and metaphysics. And like, there's all these different questions that this one tiny little argument with two premises can, can have the potential to answer. And I think so, so the, the sort of concentric circles of my interest started getting, you know, wider and wider. And I realized if I want to talk about this, then I have to be uh, well-versed in this. And if I want to talk about that, then I have to learn something about that and so on. Now, you know, the, the theoretical bullshit, I think it's theoretical BS Twitter handle uh, came after, because I have a, I have just a Scott Clifton Twitter, which is like, you know, I have the verified check mark and, and, and that's mostly people uh, who follow my acting, you know, they watch the TV show I'm on and, and so forth. Um, but there was, but, you know, there was some percentage of people that followed me there that 
wanted to engage me on the on the YouTube stuff that I had done, which, I, like you said, I don't have a lot of time for anymore, but I still fantasize about getting back to. And and I just realized that these two worlds were in the Venn diagram of, you know, people who watch soap operas and people who are interested in philosophy, the, the center is as a sliver. And so there were a lot of people that were going, oh God, why are you wasting my time with this stuff, you know, on either side. And so I, I figured out I needed to just create, separate those worlds and create uh, an account. And now, I, you know, I spend way more time on the theoretical BS account because I get enjoyment out of that. That's my interest. I let, you know, whereas every once in a while I have to switch over to the other account and promote something and interview or, or, you know, talk about the, the show or, you know, and so forth. So, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, the, really, it's not as noble as, uh, you know, as some people, I think I'm just selfishly interested in this stuff and want to have really good conversations that I can learn something from. And if other people find that helpful, then that's like the best possible outcome. I don't know if I answered your question or if I just <laughs> droned on unnecessarily. No, man, it was really, really helpful. I think um, I just I just find it fascinating how um, different people have come to the conclusions they've come to. And I mean, I, I always say that this is a journey that it, that isn't a destination that we're all learning all the time and that's really really important to highlight for every listener now we're not saying that you have landed in a camp and that is a camp you'll stay in forever or anything like that but it's just it's just fascinating to see what what, what has encouraged someone or inspired someone to actually begin to engage with these really deep questions which like literally could be the the, the difference between like an internal heaven or an eternal hell or, or nothing after you die and that that definitely influences how you live your life and what you think is important and how you talk to people and how you treat people and like all all these questions yeah. have have filters into into everyday life and it's so important to yeah to actually kind of think about them even if you just kind of actually don't change your opinion on what is is or isn't true on god uh, if, you, if you actually spend the time to kind of research and think these things through they, they can actually affect how you look at the world which is is, is quite big So I was going to ask you then. So obviously you, you kind of said you haven't done loads of reading until the last couple of years or so. And and how how did you? I mean, have you kind of gone through YouTube yourself and just watched loads of videos, or how how is it that you've got yourself to position to be able to articulate the views that you do so effectively? It's it really is. It just comes from it's a product of personal embarrassment, right? So like I, I my first uh, YouTube video I ever made on the Kalam cosmological argument, right? I, I had I had no uh, I didn't have the requisite vocabulary there. I didn't know words like creatio ex nihilo, creatio ex materia, material cause, efficient cause, final cause, formal cause. I, I did, that stuff was not in my in my vocabulary. And so, so the point that I tried, you know, so I had an objection. I realized I had an objection to the Kalam argument, and I phrased it as something like, "Well, if everything that begins to exist has a, how do you know that everything that begins to exist has a cause when we don't really know?" 
that we've never actually seen anything begin to exist, right? Everything is just a reformulation of previously existing stuff all the way back. You know, we have the first law of thermodynamics, matter is never created nor destroyed. So we've never seen something begin to exist in the way that, that you know, God creating the universe would entail something beginning to exist. That's a totally different, unrecognizable phenomenon to anything that we've ever observed. And of course I made this argument and I just got, pummeled by by people who are more philosophically literate than I going you think that you don't you don't think you began to exist therefore you don't exist you really think that you know babies and people and houses don't exist what are you talking about and I was and I, I, I this was like a series of like three or four videos where I kept going no no no, no that no that's not what I'm, I'm talking yes things exist but I'm talking about the way that things I'm making a point about the way that things come into existence they could everything that we have experience of comes into existence as a reformulation of previously existing stuff you know and then you know then somebody said well you're a mirological nihilist that's what you are you don't you don't believe that things you know actually have that things actually exist or that, that everything is just a bunch of parts and and that there's no such thing as a chair and I, and I was going no 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 it's not that I'm not saying there's no such thing as a chair you know and then William Lane Craig ended up responding to me and said this kid is just such a typical example of ignorance on the internet and illiteracy and what you know this it's so sad I mean this this his response to me was just dripping with with condescension um, but it was like, here's a perfect example of internet atheists. Th these people are just angry. They don't know what they're talking about. I mean, ha has this guy even thought this through by his logic? He doesn't even exist. And so then, then I had to read, you know, the Blackwell Companion to Natural Theology. And I bought Craig's art, you know, his book, The Kalam Cosmological Argument. And then I learned that I came back and I said, okay, here's what I meant. I meant that everything we've ever observed uh, caused to exist has been so caused ex materia. And what you're talking about is, is creatio ex nihilo, which is not a phenomenon that we've ever seen. So we can't, we can't extrapolate this metaphysical principle about causality in general. When you're positing a, a, a kind of causality that we've, we've never even seen before, we only have experience with ex materia causality. And so that, and it's just this slow process of me learning the language just by being embarrassed at having not known the language and having been misinterpreted and, you know, and just having to refine my ability, my, the, the precision of my language uh, so as not to be uh, uh, misrepresented. The, what I said to you a minute ago about how I do wish there was more of an effort to sort of steel man people who don't have those, you know, if somebody to me comes to me and tries to have the make a kind of point similar to the one that I was trying to make when I didn't have the vocabulary. I think it would be really fucked up for me to go, oh, you clearly don't know what you're talking about and you, you clearly aren't educated. I would say, okay, you're saying something that sounds a lot like this objection that exists, which is a really interesting, really strong objection. Uh, and here's how they would put it. And this is the language they would use. Does that, does that feel right to you? You know, and then this person would go, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you, and then you have a productive conversation. I, and I, that, that never, I, that wasn't done for me by some of the, the more well-regarded people that responded to me. And so now I try to, you know, do unto others if you will yeah yeah I, I like that a lot i think this is definitely something that i've noticed as well is that difficulty consistently in trying to 
articulate what you're trying to say in a way that is being taken with grace and love and it, it often feels so i was i was recently on uh, on on unbelievable uh, which is a fairly well-known christian apologetics podcast and um kind yeah. of giving giving a brief background to my story and a brief a brief background to why i don't believe in christianity and um they've also got a new blog that's just launched called the called the pathos blog or something like that and 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 this guy basically took little snippets of what i said and then kind of re like phrased it correctly but then just interpreted it in their own way and it was definitely like a complete straw man of all of my like little kind of points and stuff and i was just reading through it like and i mean to start with they didn't even get my name right so it's like how how if you can't get the name of my blog right and the name of of, of me as a person right how could you possibly understand what i'm trying to like like how and um i just found it really really challenging because obviously this person was writing basically this this blog must have been written so that any christians who could possibly have had any concerns or doubts afterwards had some sort of rebuttal to to the sort of points i was raising but the issue was is he he just did not get the points i was that i was raising correct sure i could have done a much better job articulating myself i I fully fully admit to that but it, it for them to have at least maybe reached out first and gone, is this right? Have, have I kind of got this correct? And I could have gone, yes. And then they could have butchered it. That's absolutely fine. But it's just, it's just frustrated that they didn't have the, the grace and dignity to kind of at least try and make, make the best, best possible light of what I said. Um, and, and you see it all the time online on different podcasts and stuff. And it just feels, just, it just feels like more often than not, you're actually seeing these agnostics or atheists or ex-believers, whatever language you want to use, um, trying to be gracious and loving and kind. And then, basically being absolutely kind of shredded by kind of, you know, your Braxton Hunters or your whoever's on, on, on YouTube. And just because they aren't actually taking the time to have an honest dialogue, they just want to go, this is a dumb position, this is why, rather than going, what is this person trying to say? It's just so frustrating, man. Yeah, I mean, in fairness, you, you, that, that's not totally one-sided. There is some symmetry to that. I mean, I've seen plenty of, of atheists and skeptics and agnostics be completely uncharitable, you know, to their theistic Christian or otherwise, you know, religious interlocutors. And um, I I think just Twitter does that to people, the anonymity of, you know, these these conversations make embolden us to, to be, uh, yeah, just really recalcitrant and uncooperative and, and, um, uh, and argue in bad faith in a way that I think we wouldn't if we could look into somebody's eyes. Uh, um, so yeah, I think, yeah, anyway, I, I hear I hear what you're saying. I've experienced the exact same thing. I think that's a problem all around though, not necessarily just with religious people toward the non-religious. Yeah, 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 sorry. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I didn't mean to sound like I was just moaning about Christians. It's, uh, yeah, I've, I've seen it definitely. Oh, no. <laughs> um, it's, 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 it's a challenge, isn't it? I think... Uh, I think taking taking the, the 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 graceful road as well, it probably is a, is is a case that, as I mentioned before, that people are going to listen to these arguments or these ideas, and they're going to take their own interpretation of what I'm saying or you're saying or whoever's saying, and that can cause dissonance. It can cause doubt. It can cause problems for the believer, and then they'll they'll turn to these YouTubers or their pastors or whoever for like really good hard hitting rebuttals, so that they can not have those doubts. It's almost like they've been smashed apart somehow, which I don't think quite makes sense. But I think that's how a lot of people view that view this, which is a weird a weird thing i think you're absolutely right like if you were to go out for a coffee with whoever it was you had a conversation with and sit down for an hour uninterrupted and had an honest conversation where you can both be real about what you believe and why i think the outcome would be so different um just insanely different about a year ago i had a i had a big really frustrating collision with uh cameron bertuzzi who i know you know from capturing christianity and it it was about kalam i think yeah it was about kalam uh, and, and we were going back and forth and, and I, I, I was, 
I, I was getting more and more frustrated going, you're not hearing me. This is, you're not responding to what I said that, you know, and, uh, and, and he seemed less and less interested as, as time went on in engaging me fairly. And, but we're both, you know, people were following this conversation. We both, you know, had, had followers who had stakes in, you know, who would win, you know, which, which always kind of contaminates things. And eventually somehow I got him on the phone and, and it was a, it was just a regular phone call and it was private and nobody heard it and it was unrecorded. And in the privacy of that phone call where neither of us had to perform for anyone, neither of us had any pressure on us to win, uh, I, I was, it was great. I was able to go, okay, no, 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 but man, I really want to try to convince you that, that you're wrong about this. Like, can I try? And he would go, sure. And then I would make my case and he would give an objection. I would go, yeah, but here's, here's why that doesn't work. And we went back and forth and back and forth and, you know, bless his heart. Eventually he went on, he went back to Twitter and publicly said, uh, uh, Scott Clifton convinced me that this objection I was making, you know, or, or this this particular argument against this objection, uh, doesn't really work. Uh, and and I, you know, I'm looking forward to future conversations or something like that. And it just proves the, the difference between you know a live, real human dialogue. Granted, I couldn't look into his eyes, but I could hear the tone in his voice and vice versa. And he knew I wasn't. He could tell I wasn't hostile. I just wanted to make progress. Uh, and I think that that just is. It creates all the difference in the world sometimes. Yeah, yeah, it really does. Yeah, Cameron's a, Cameron's a good guy. I think he 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 sometimes gets um gets the raw end of a of a of a of a deal on on Twitter and stuff. But um yeah, I've I've spoken to him a couple of times. Just just I mean just in like Instagram direct messages, nothing special. Um and yeah, he's 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 got a real good head and a good heart actually. He kind of he does want people to honestly believe the things they believe for a good reason rather than just kind of believing it for no reason at all so yeah i've got a lot of time for him and his youtube channel is fantastic so there you go um he's definitely an inspiration in that regard as well um okay man that's really cool and and how do you how do you go about then kind of um trying to help people who might reach out who are maybe kind of no longer believe but are struggling to kind of comprehend the sorts of language that you're, you're that, that you're using for instance the kind of the two different um I, 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 the different ideas you just use about the climb cosmological argument, like I, I wouldn't know the, the right words to say that. So how do you help people to kind of get on, on board with that stuff? Yeah, that, that's the paradox, right? Because the more, you know, the, 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 the more sophisticated conversations I want to try to have, the more I alienate the, the kind of people who were just like I was, you know, craving to be able to talk about this stuff and think about this stuff, but don't have necessarily the, the training or vocabulary to talk about it. And so I'm, it, it, I get shit from both sides. Uh, any given video that I do or, or thing that I write, there's going to be some people that are saying, uh, you're not engaging with the most sophisticated philosophy. You're, you're really dumbing this down. You're, 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 you know, picking low hanging fruit. And on the other side, there are people going, oh, look at me. I'm Scott. I think I'm so sophisticated <laughs> using all these big words. Why don't you just talk like a fucking human and tell me what the problem is? You know, and so there, there's a there's a way to put 
I don't know where the needle should be exactly, but there is, I know there's got to be a sweet spot or maybe just the needle just has to keep changing. I mean, you know, in, in recent videos, I've tried to, you know, use the language that, that I know that I would need to use if I felt like being taken seriously by philosophers. But I just, I, it's a long video because I just have to define all those words and unpack them and explain what they mean first and then i get into the nitty-gritty and then of course people you know complain that my videos are too long so <laughs> sometimes you can't win but um but I, but i will say in a private correspondence you know if if one person reaches out to me you know who who doesn't you know have any of this background you know i i can completely have the conversation on, on that level. And really the quality of thought, the quality of argument doesn't change. You're just using different words. It's just a different vocabulary, that's all. Uh, and I, I, just, I just went camping with uh, a, a guy that I work with on, on my show. He and I both like to go camping and we get you know COVID tested like three times a week. And so we knew it was safe. And so we went on this camping trip and he's an uh, evangelical conservative uh, Christian. And we had like a really long campfire, you know, conversation about, uh, you know, he didn't know the word meta ethics, but it was a conversation about meta ethics, really, you know, about what is right and wrong, what makes right and wrong. And I, I, I didn't have to use any fancy vernacular for that conversation. It was a great conversation. Well, great. I think he, he was looking more for a debate than I was, but uh, yeah, you know, so I, I think you can, you can wear both hats. Yeah, and that sweet spot is just—it feels like it's impossible most of the time. I think you know, I, I, I definitely kind of like prepare every podcast with a "this is this is a journey." We're going to listen to what this person's saying. We're going to understand what they're saying, and this is about them and, and what they're trying to get across. Uh, because I feel like a lot of people listen to me like, "Oh, it's a Christian this week." I hope Sam rips them apart. Like, it's literally not what I'm here to do. I'm here to go. Okay, you're a Christian. Why do you believe what you believe? Well, you're not a Christian. Why why do you not believe it? And kind of that, that's what I'm interested in. Is that sort of like really fine fine line area? Um, yeah, yeah. But so many people want the opposite. And it's interesting. I mean, I was I was actually going to ask you on on the whole debate front, obviously. Um, I think you're very articulate. I think the way that you come across is really good in video. Obviously, that's your career. Um, so, kind of how how do you how do you feel about one day uh, maybe kind of getting involved more with um, debates and that sort of more kind of online presence? What what, what are your thoughts around that stuff? I would love to. Uh, you know, I, I, every once in a while, I, I get somebody like emailing me or tweeting at me. You know, telling me to write a book. <laughs> I don't you know. I don't. I don't know what I what I have to say that somebody else hasn't hasn't said better uh, somewhere. I, I think at this point, you know, I, every once in a while, I get to I get to go do like a YouTube video or or, or something like that. You know, it's but not, you know now it's like once a year. Uh, I'm also I'm not good at like video editing software, you know, and, and for me, I try to like write myself a, a script that I kind of memorize in chunks and then I film it that way. So, because I know that that, that matters, it, it, people hear you and appreciate what you're saying more if you can look them in the eye and it feels conversational. Yes, I'm an actor, but, I, but I'm applying that skill set you know, just to, to, to feel natural and conversational to the YouTube videos because I know that, you know, it really makes a difference in somebody's ability to receive what you're trying to say. All this is to say, it's a big production. It takes me a long time um, to, to make a YouTube video, but I do love it. And there's a, there's a you know, maybe there's a part of me a very, very, very tiny part of me that would think it was exciting if one day I lost my job and had to uh, somehow turn the YouTube thing into like what Cameron's done, you know, where, where 
Uh, it's like he makes, that's how he makes his living now. On the other hand, uh, the, this, this pressure to keep, you know, pumping out content, 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 definitely dilutes the quality of that content in a lot of cases. You know, the, the, it, uh, I see Cameron and it's Cameron. We know Cameron, we love Cameron. And every once in a while he just tweets or, or posts something that is clearly clickbait. You know, it's, it's substantively useless, uh, but, but it creates a lot of engagement. And that's how the guy puts food on the table for his family. So it's like, you can't blame him for it. But at the other, on the other hand, you're like, oh God, I don't, ugh, I don't want to do that. You know, so uh, yeah, just I, I, I don't know how to navigate this new world, but somebody's going to figure it out. The perfect formula one of these days. <laughs> yeah, we, we definitely can hope. But yeah, it's, it's, it, I think it's an interesting one because I think there's there's so many great conversations you can have. And I think you're absolutely right. You can overdo it. You can get to that point where you're um you're just recycling material or you're you're talking about things that are so are so meta and so bizarre that i think i saw one recently um i won't mention who it is but it's basically talking about aliens and like you know is is essentially is god and and an alien i'm like i mean it's it's an interesting topic but really random and really just <laughs> like wh wh why 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 is this going on your channel um but it's like i need to do three i need to do three videos a week i need to make sure they're high quality they get these random guests on and uh, you know and you can kind of see it see it all unfolding i think yeah i mean i i i've no i don't think this I, mean, I don't really edit these videos i kind of just put different breaks in and put a beginning and end on and just upload it and then maybe people watch it usually it's just listen to it which is great but um yeah i think it's i think it's about finding what you're good at and 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 enjoying it right like if if you if, if you enjoy that that one video a year that you get to do where you get to think about the subject you get to write that script you get to really work out what it is that excites you about this content and then upload it and then enjoy that engagement and enjoy those comments and those dislikes and those likes and those people going like this has really affected me or this is complete crap or whatever it is like you actually get to see how people respond to something that you've worked really hard at and that means something to you that's special and that's different compared to just yeah. i need to do this because it's my job um which is really hard but again it's that fine line like if you lose your job you need to make money you need to have something like that you, you gotta yeah I, I can't imagine it it must be really really hard but i think you know people like cameron have done a really good job in in, in setting that mostly in the right direction it's also isn't it interesting how i i, I I know you haven't been doing your podcast for that long, but by the way, uh, just to uh, issue another compliment to you, it, it, since our email correspondence, I listened to a few more episodes of, oh, wow. of your podcast and and uh, you just have a lovely disposition with with both sides of this conversation. I think uh, your, your curiosity and complete lack of defensiveness uh, is is makes for such great listening. And um, anyway, I've just, I, I, I think what you're doing is so useful. Uh, and I hope that that more and more people uh, start engaging and, and listening to you. But anyway, I was going to say, I, it's, it's really interesting how you can never predict how what you do or say affects people. And like you, you think you're making a really profound point about something and you really hope that that resonates with somebody somewhere. And then you get an email from somebody thanking you for changing their life because of this other point that you put absolutely no thought into whatsoever. And it was just like a throwaway line. And for, and that was what flipped the switch for them. And you're like, 
wow, you really, you, you just, there's no way to predict how people are going to interpret what you say and what they're going to, what their takeaway, their takeaway is not your takeaway. You know, it's, it's all this stuff happens on accident. It's uh, really interesting. It is bizarre, man. So I, 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 I tend to free, like basically, I just tend to freestyle most of these because I just like, just like an actual conversation. I think it's really important. Um, anyway, so I, I was there was there's a podcast I did quite a while ago now. I can't remember which one it was, but where I essentially read um, a section from uh, from C.S. Lewis, The Silver Chair, and um, you know, I won't go into it now. But essentially, I just read this passage. Took me two minutes, and then that was the end. That was the end of the episode. And I got so since I was on Unbelievable, obviously the podcast listens have gone up a little bit, which is nice. Are they going to come back down? But that's fine. Um, but anyway, someone was listening to this podcast. I just got a round tweet. I just listened to you read that bit of the silver chair and I could not stop crying for hours. I'm like, I didn't didn't mean someone to get like really emotional from that. That was just me going, this is really interesting. Listen to this and then read it and then stopped. But for someone that was really powerful. Um I think yeah. I think I think it was a non-Christian who was struggling, and then I've had a Christian say as well it was really powerful. It's just, it's just weird how you more often than not, the things that you don't plan in are the things that are the most productive and powerful for another human because i think it's real i think that's the thing like yeah sure having a script and having it all planned out is really important but actually if you can add in those sort of like throwaway lines or remarks i think it really can help people to go oh man this is coming from a place that um isn't just all pretend and waff it's actually it's actually them this is what i'm, I'm getting right now is them it's not it's not just a pretend sort of sterile environment i'm getting the real deal here which is, is special and and really rare i think yeah yeah and and so like my, my my number one engaged YouTube video from back in the day is is this uh, one called God's Checklist, and I and it's just me kind of being a dick honestly, uh, and I'm just sort of satirizing Christianity. I'm and I, I, I'm I'm just putting Christianity in what is probably you know the least charitable framing possible, and just kind of showing how it comes off to someone like me, how absurd it all seems when you put it all together to someone like me. And it, in no way did I think that that would change somebody's mind. That's not, you know, that that's me just sort of having fun and, you know, and that is the number one video that I get, I get emails from people saying, that video started my trajectory towards leaving my faith. And I'm like, really i was such an asshole you know like how how could you how could you even hear that given the the, the way that i presented it you know I, I had a long way to go at that but that was a long time ago and i've learned how to better engage people since then but yeah again you're, you just you, you never know what what's going to affect people yeah and i think what, what i really like about you, about your about your youtube channel is you, you can go right back to your first video where you're literally saying so this is me doing my first video. This could be deleted and no one could ever find it or it could be really good. We'll have to see. I'm like, ah, that's so interesting. So you've actually left all of your content on there for people to go to. And I think, you know, 20, 30 years time, um, you're going to have more videos on there, I'm sure. But it's it's so good to be able to see that trajectory, that journey, because you, you, you get to see the full arc, which again, is really rare. Yeah, I have a rule about that, that I, I don't want to... I mean, unless something happens that I need to change my mind about this, but as a rule, I've never deleted any of my YouTube videos, even the ones that are just truly humiliating to me, even the ones where I'm I'm either making an argument or stating a position that I've long since abandoned, you know, and not just abandoned, but think is absurd now, you know, just because it's a, it's a record of my growth, you know, I, and I don't want to, I, I don't want to sweep anything under the rug there. Um, so yeah yeah we'll have to uh we'll have to see where it goes man it's 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 really exciting i think it's um 
I, I just think it's really healthy. I think that, I mean, that's, that's so I, I do a lot of blogging as well. Um, so I've been blogging for a couple of years now and it, it, I've managed to capture it right from the moment where I first was like, oh shit, I've lost my faith to that horrific, like everything's gone. I was beginning to lead a church. There was loads of stuff going on. I've got to, you know, me and my wife moved to a new town to, to support this church plant. And it's just like absolutely mental to kind of like journeying depression and then trying to work out what this means for me and my career, which was going to be in church leadership and and just all these different sorts of steps. And actually ha having that on, on, on paper, you know, online paper, um, it's, it's actually really good because even if, you know, it doesn't really ever get that many views or anything, that's fine. But actually for people like my kids and their kids' kids, and even for me when I'm an old man, to be able to, to, be able to go back and go, isn't it weird how far things have come? Like, I thought I was dying back then in this depression, horrific state. And this is where I am now. Like, I've got my great grandkid or whatever, and, you know, in that, that situation in life. And it's just going to be a really bizarre thing to look back and go, okay, this is a really good reminder for everybody that life moves on, that things don't just stay in this weird bubble or this argument you've got or this depression you've got or whatever it is. Like things, things can progress, um, which I think, you know, we, we, you just so often don't see that, do you, when you're, when you're struggling and you're upset and stuff. So I think that's, that's something I'm really, really happy with about the blog is yeah. it captures that, that horror and it goes into the joy. And it's that arc that I want to make sure people, people are fully aware of. Yeah, that's really cool. I, um, I, I, I have a four-year-old son now and uh i think i ask myself this question a lot the question of like okay if i you know if i knew where i were I, I were dying of cancer and i had like three weeks to live or something like that and i had to like give him a message you know for the rest of his life if i had to give my you know my my fatherly advice you know because i'm not going to be around for the rest of his life what would i say if i had one piece of advice what would it be and i've gone back and forth and i think that i think the answer would be something like you can't be precious about your worldview. You can't, your worldview can't be your identity. You have to treat it like an old car where you, you know, one piece stops working. And so you replace that piece with another piece. And then another piece stops working. You replace that piece with another piece. You, you want a consistent worldview. You want a worldview that you've thought about, that you feel like is defensible to you, but you can't be too attached to any belief, you know, the, the minute that belief, be, you know, comes in tension with another one of your beliefs or some new data about the world, you got to be willing to let it go. And the minute you let it go, you're free. You're free from having to defend something that you just can't quite make work. Uh, and I think a lot of us, especially, well, this is especially true politically, right? I mean, what, what does it say about the fact that if you know somebody's views on gun rights, for example, you almost certainly can predict all their other views from abortion to, to taxes to, you know, that's, that's not a good thing. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I don't know. I think, I think the not having an attachment to, to our beliefs, not, it, it relieves the suffering, the mourning of, of losing them um, because you never identified with them in the first place. And I think that's a difficult lesson for anyone to learn. But I, but that's also the reason that I feel like I missed out. You know, there's a part of me that I, I you know, that wishes I had grown up in some kind of religious environment. I, I wish I really did believe, you know, that Jesus Christ died for my sins. I wish I believed that I was going to heaven so, so that I could lose that and mourn that and grow from that. I think that is such a special unique human experience that I never got to have, you know, and I don't know. I think that's um, character building, wisdom making. Uh, 
it's uh, changing your views is a really special thing. I, I admire people who do that. Yeah, it's huge. I think as well, like, um, I, I mean, I completely agree. I, I, there's so many things that I wish that I'd gone through that I could learn from, but at the same time, I guess, you know, it's kind of like, if you look at, I don't know, obviously most of them are past now, but you know, veterans from world war two or, or, or whatever, you obviously, they've obviously learned a lot and, and kind of grown a lot and gone through a lot, but you don't, you don't want that experience. And I kind of think that as well with, with, with Christianity, right? So in, in like a hundred years time, 200 years time, hopefully society has moved on to a point where there are less people having to go through this. But if we could, as, as with anything take out the gem which is the how do you transpose this ability to let go of things that you think is really really dear and important and move on and grow from those things if we can transpose that into just a, a, a really good framework or a system which helps people to not hold things too tightly but hold things in tension and when tension gets really tight lacking it off and when tension gets really loose tighten up again like if we can if we can pull that out of it fantastic but i think if we're just in this repetitive cycle where people are just being essentially indoctrinated or brainwashed as their children and then having to come out of it then that would be that would be sad but if we could if we could learn how to how to help other people journey things out more effectively i think that, that'd be a beautiful thing yeah I, eventually there's gonna be a, a science of of deconversion really or, or maybe not de deconversion is not the right but there, there's i mean maybe there is something like this but but there's gonna be an empirical science of how beliefs change and what does the trick and how to make that transition less painful and you know just like when it just like there are stages of grief there must be stages of you know a change in worldview that that we can all recognize and identify and help guide people through and uh yeah i think you're right yeah i'll be watching your youtube videos and listening to my podcast and using that as their resource material um <laughs> i'm sure <laughs> that could be a mistake <laughs> on the on my videos at least Oh, uh, it'd be funny. Um, I mean, I was, I was, I was going to ask you then. So, if if there is something that you hold that's really dear, and and that thing does become um, questionable, and and you struggle with it, and you end up having to to change it, as you have done, as you've said with some of your your views before, um, how how do you how do you do that yourself so that the listener can actually begin to understand what it might look like for them as well? I wish I were better at that. Actually, I the thing about really changing your views is that it almost always happens. Uh, retroactively, uh, or maybe retrospectively is the right word. Uh, you, you, nobody, I mean, hardly anybody ever, it's happened a few times, handful of times in my whole life, you know, where I could identify in the moment that my mind is being changed right now. And it's even harder when it's being changed by somebody who is uh, adversarial toward you, yeah. right? I mean, that takes, that your ego obviously, you know, gets in the way there. And you don't, even if, even if, what they're saying is sinking in in some sense. You don't want them to have the satisfaction of knowing that, right? So uh, almost, you know, all the times that my views have changed and uh, all the times that people have reported to me that I have succeeded in somehow changing their views, it's always after the fact, right? It's always after you've gotten to marinate in it for a while. And and it's, it's when you're in the privacy and the comfort of your own mind and there is no pressure to like, it's the same thing with Cameron. You know, there's no, there's no pressure to perform. That's when you can sort of change your mind. And, but, by, but by the time that happens, you almost forget the genesis of it. It's like, you, you know, it's like you're, you're, you, you have a memory as a child, as a small child. And it's a really, really vivid memory. And you've told the story of that memory and your parents who were there at the time have told the story of that memory. But the more times you tell that story, the, the more you 
get confused about, am I remembering the story or am I remembering the memory? How, what Did this really happen? How did it happen? Did it change <laughs> over time? And I just wasn't aware of it. And so I think that happens with a lot of my beliefs. I look back and I'm surprised at how different they are. But, and this is why, why I said I'm bad at this, um, but I never reported to people, I have changed my mind about this. This is what's changed my mind. You know, you, you, people don't, I, I've been bad at letting people follow uh, my growth in real time. It's always a discovery after the fact. And uh, there are some people who are really good at that. There are some people who say, you know, like uh, cosmic skeptic, you know, he, he, he posts a video saying, I'm a vegan now, you know, and this is really important to me now. And this is what changed my mind. And, you know, and you get to kind of follow him on that, on that journey. And I, I never, I kind of robbed people of that because I just didn't think about it until it's too late. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, on, I'm not sure robbing is the right word. I think you've just, you've just gone on a journey. Like I've mentioned in the middle of the episode, like this, this is a journey, right? And I think it's, it's really dangerous for people to assume that you are still in the same position that you were in before. I think that's why, like, if we can have honest conversations like you had on the phone with Cameron, like, that is why it's so important to do that because we're able to reflect on, actually, you know, I've, I've said that before, but I don't believe that anymore and this is why. And actually, you, you, you just cannot do that for the masses, right? You, you, you just cannot go online every time something's changed. You go, just so you know, I've changed my mind again. Like, it's just, it's impossible. Something like veganism, maybe like a massive life, something like that, probably a bit different. But especially on, like, the finer points of theology and philosophy, it's just so hard to, and as well as do all the groundwork to explain where you were and all the groundwork to explain why it's changed. And it, for someone, they might be like, it's really only changed for this, like, this tiny amount but it took you an hour and a half to explain that is it really worth it you know maybe in like a debate or something you can kind of drop in this is where i am now and just move on and people can pick that up but i think that's important is, is the ability to have a conversation and pick up where someone is not assume where someone is and actually be able to get in in right into the belly of why they believe something um just takes a lot of work and it is possible but sometimes as you say it's better to apply grace and apply love and assume the best of what they're saying and the place they're coming from rather than go well two years ago actually you said this thing and i hate I hate that in debates someone goes actually i'm just going to read a passage from your book that you published 12 years ago i'm like 12 years ago man like that's a lot has changed in 12 years yeah. time it's not it's not the same um no it's fascinating i mean that i mean i think that that that's that shouldn't be totally out of bounds but but you know if, if you say okay listen this is what you said in your book or this is what you said in this tweet or this is what you said in this post or this video uh and this is why i think that you know okay I think that's okay as long as you give the other person room to say, yeah, but I don't think that anymore. And then you go, okay, all right. What do you think now then? Let's deal with that. Instead of going, no, but you said it, you <laughs> said it. So yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, it's so true. Cause I think like so, so, like so many people prepare their arguments based off someone's past performance. Like we, we, we don't go in with a clear understanding of where we lie on different issues. We go in, going, they said this thing, and this is how I'm going to argue against that thing. But when they go, I don't believe that thing, I'm like, oh, shit, okay, um, I don't know what I'm going to say then. So what do you believe now? Okay, right, I'm not prepared for that one. I'm going to just have to wing it, basically. And that's where you get all these red herrings and things popping up. It's because people begin to attack something that's not there, but it's close, but it's not quite the same thing, uh, which is it's definitely worrying, um, for sure. Yeah, yeah. That was why I, I actually, I failed my high school debate club uh because nice. because of that you know we we had we were assigned 
to, to defend positions we didn't believe in. We were, you know, there was always this pressure that like, no, you have to win. That's the whole point. It's debate club. You have to, you have to win no matter what. And w when somebody comes, you know, comes back at you and says, I don't think that though anymore, you know, then you go get, you know, and you start to short circuit because you know, you have to argue against something and you can't just go, oh, wow, that's great. That's really interesting. Oh yeah, I do agree with that. You can't, you're not allowed to agree with the other side in a debate club, you know? So I was, I was terrible at it. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> Especially high school. I think it's uh, things, things change. You get older. Like I, I honestly wish I could go back and redo my high school days, my university days. Like it, I'd just be, I'd be learning and my career would be, so I, I, I work in it uh, at, at a university. I'd be in such a different career right now. It's just been insane. Um, anyway, you can, but hope and it's not going to happen. So there we go. Um, so Scott, I wanted to ask you like what, and this is this is a massive question, so feel free to waffle on or keep it really short. It's completely your shout, but it'd be really interesting to hear kind of what what it is that gives you purpose and meaning and value in 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 your life, and kind of how you how you make the most of the situations that you're in. Because a lot of Christians will listen to this, and I mention this pretty much every podcast. So apology, listener, but it's, I think it's important for you to understand, Scott. A, a lot of Christians will go, you know, if you don't have a belief in God, then you don't have this objective purpose or meaning or value that you can put yourself in, right? You just don't have that so whatever you're doing is just like a chalk in the wind it's just going to blow away and, and it'll be forgotten but I, I i have my reasons and i've explained my reasons why i don't think that's true but it'd be really interesting to hear from you scott kind of what is it that gives you your meaning and purpose day to day yeah i, I have a, some thoughts on that i think well first of all there there's this habit of treating words like value and meaning as if they are like an intrinsic property of something or someone, as opposed to what they really are, which is a status of relationship between subject and object, right? To say that something is valuable, I, I don't, if you're not saying that it is valued by someone, then I don't know what you mean. I mean, how can something be valuable in the absence of anyone anywhere available to value it, right? How can anything be meaningful in the absence of anyone anywhere, you know, it, of it meaning something to someone, right? And so, yeah, so if you, I mean, if you want to say, so to me, I mean, what I value in life, it's, it's valuable because I value it. Now, why do I value it? You can you can tell a, a psychological story, you can tell an evolutionary story, you can tell a genetic story, an environmental story, whatever you wanna, you know, you can explain why you value the things that you do. Uh, but you valuing it is, is all that should matter here. And, and if you think otherwise, I mean, if you, if you think it takes a sort of outside in, you know, something like purpose, you know, if, 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 if you're the purpose that you've like assigned to yourself, if that's not good enough, because it's you deciding your own purpose. It's it's your relationship to these things. It's your feelings about these things that, that matters. If that's not good enough, uh, then I always wonder how, how how we could export that to God, right? So, so let's say God exists, right? God was not created for a purpose. God wasn't created at all. God wasn't given a meaning. God wasn't given anything. Here, here is this being, this this consciousness that just exists and just always has existed and always will and was not that God does not have an externally imposed purpose. 
is does this keep God up at night? No, I don't think so. Right. So so if the absence of of you know an imposed purpose on you is supposed to be problematic, then God's got the biggest problem of all, right? So I don't I think there's something I don't want to say disingenuous, but unreflective about that criticism of naturalism. You know, how can you how can you now now maybe the difference uh, is 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 time, right? A lot of people have in their heads that that's the difference, you know, because if God exists, you know, God is going to exist forever, right? The minute something ends, it ceases to have meaning, or at least that must be the reasoning there, right? Your, your life just ends. Now you're a pile of dirt. The universe is going to die in a heat death. Nobody will remember you. The planet will be destroyed. All of this and ultimately, ultimately is for nothing, right? So, so what did it matter? Uh, and I, I, that just seems, that just seems like totally the wrong way to think about it. I don't, the, if, if, I watched a, a movie last night that I've been wanting to watch for a long time is, is called uh, Three Billboards Outside uh, Ebbing, Missouri, right? Beautiful movie. Oh my God, I cried. It was, it was an emotional roller coaster. I loved it so much. If I were still watching it, I would not be as sentimental about it. I would kind of, if it were still going and going and going, and I knew that the movie would never end, that would not make the movie more meaningful to me. It would not make the movie more purposeful or special to me. It, it's uh, the, it, the fact that things end um, is what makes them precious, is what makes them meaningful, uh, is, is, uh, is what gives us an incentive to care about them. Um, the idea of eternity, uh, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know how to connect that to meaning, even though I know that, you know, for a lot of people, that's the, that's the linchpin. So, yeah. Man, that was great. What a good analogy. And that's a great film as well. And yeah, I, yeah, if, if that was still going on, so I watched it about a year ago. So if that was still going on, like, gosh, that would be, <laughs> that would be surreal. Um, yeah. Okay. How fascinating. Thank you for that. And that was really helpful. And I'm sure it will help a lot of people. It's definitely kind of helped me see things a, a bit differently, even, you know, just those, those two minutes there. So thank you for that. Um, oh, thanks. Hey, I want to take a minute of your time to talk about supporting When Belief Dies. This will always be an advertisement-free podcast. And for that reason, I hope you will be willing to share this episode with your friends and family. Subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcast app and check us out over on YouTube. Finally, I want to ask you to consider supporting the show financially. You can support the show on Patreon with a monthly gift or a one-off donation via PayPal. Everything that you give goes directly towards running and improving the blog and podcast. Take a look in the description for all the links and thank you for supporting the show. Right, let's get back to this week's episode. So... I guess it'd be really cool then to kind of dive into um, a bit more kind of if, if you're able to kind of talk about how you think the Bible has affected America and affected people's ability to engage in open, honest, critical dialogue. Um, it, it's, it's something that I, I try to ask um, a lot of people from over there. Um, and it's obviously very different here in the UK. So we kind of have a, a much more 
skeptical uh, skeptical like it's, it's just really rare to meet someone who believes in literal seven-day creation or you know believes the bible to be completely and utterly infallible like there are people like that i've talked to them all the time but it, it's so rare whereas i know in the states at least it feels like it's far more common i kind of wanted to get your take on it like is it does it is, is it more common and if it is like how how do you think the bible has like almost seeped into the culture over there and, and made it into such a conservative potentially conservative environment yeah i well, well, for, to answer your question, yes. I mean, obviously, the Bible is is taken as a as as a living document, you know, as an authoritative document here. I'm sure more than just about anywhere in the world. I mean, we have we just have more fundamentalists, more evangelicals. It makes up a huge chunk of our our population and our and our political thinking. Um, you know, I'm not the first person to notice that the relationship of even the most staunch evangelical to the Bible is, is one of, you know, it's, they interpret the Bible according to their tribe, their political values, and not, they, they don't determine their tribe and their political values according to the Bible. Um, I think you know, abortion is one of the biggest issues in the United States right now. There's nothing about abortion in the Bible. You know, there's it, it's it doesn't talk about that. Now you can make inferences about it from from other things. Well, it says don't murder, right? Abortion falls under the category of murder, or you know, uh, uh, there's another one like you know, ho um, homosexuality falls under you know don't, don't commit adultery, even though you know in the New Testament we don't necessarily have explicit condemnations of homosexuality. Well, I guess we do. Uh, anyway, it just it, it's. It, so something that I notice is that we have we have we have this ten these ten commandments, and presumably, uh, if you're an evangelical or or if you're uh, religious at all, I mean, you you probably think that these are God's the, the creator of the universe's ten most pressing ethical concerns, right? Nothing about slavery, nothing about abortion. Uh, nothing about child molestation, nothing about rape, you know, but, but, you know, you got your first four that are mostly about um, pleasing God and, you know, and then, and then the, the last six are some really kind of basic, you know, don't, don't murder, don't steal, don't lie. And then we have in our culture, a constitution that in, to, by my lights directly conflicts with some of the principles of this Bible. So our first amendment says you can believe whatever you want. You know, you, you have the freedom of religion, right? And yet the first commandment says you can absolutely not believe whatever you want. In fact, the, the, the biggest sin is not believing in this one religion. Uh, and so there's, I think there's a tension. I, I, if you're an evangelical Christian, I think you have to make a decision about what the relationship between scripture and our constitution or our law needs to be. Right, you, so you, you don't believe in abortion. Um, do you, does that mean, you, you think abortion is morally wrong? Does that mean that abortion should be illegal? You know, because you, because you believe it to be morally wrong. Yeah, but don't you also believe that worshiping false idols is morally wrong? And yet clearly you believe that that should be legal. We have the right to worship false idols. So why don't we have the right to abortion, both are morally wrong. Was it because that one hurts somebody and the other one doesn't? Well, not technically, a fetus 
can't experience pain. A fetus can't, you know, a young enough fetus can't experience suffering. Uh, a slave can, and there's nothing in the Bible about not owning slaves. So I, I, th I, I think that in, in my country, there's a, just a lot of inconsistency there. And I, I think people tend to use chunks of the Bible in a, in a sort of convenient way. Um, I mean, you wouldn't, I, I, it's, it's, you know, we have like most evangelicals are now Trump people. Trump people. I mean, the guy, you know, who's on his third wife and had an affair with his second wife while he was had while she was pregnant with his child, and you know, and who, I mean, never mind. I'm not going to list all the the problems with Trump, but uh, I think it's it's team first, values second, instead of choosing your team according to your values. Um, and I think it would be difficult to even write a list of all the values that you would get from the Bible that's consistent that you can't sort of uh, find exceptions to or, or contradictions to uh, in one place or another. Uh, yeah, we have a we have a uh, bit of a an epistemic uh, problem in the United States, a problem of where we're getting our principles and how we're applying them. I, I honestly think that that's potentially due to the amount of people you have rather than the fact that people aren't asking these questions, right? I think there are a lot of people with megaphones essentially that are able to, and because of, you know, the internet and social media are able to just to trumpet their opinions and you see them plastered on billboards and you see them, I see them on Twitter all the time and stuff. And you have some amazing thinkers. You've got like Eric Weinstein, you've got Sam Harris, you've got just these incredible people with incredible brains who are able to articulate things in ways that you very rarely see over in the UK. I mean, sure, we've got, we've got great thinkers as well. I'm not saying you've got the monopoly on great thinkers, but you've got some incredible minds. I just think it's it's just the size of America that just seems so daunting. And and I mean, I, I've only ever been to America yeah. once. So I was, I was there for three months in 2012. For, yeah, for, for three months, my wife was finishing her master's and I had, I had basically like this, just this summer off before I graduated. And I went over to, to Illinois, um, just just a, a two hours south of Chicago. So this sort of like Champaign-Urbana area um, and basically just helped out at, at a church over there for, for three months. Um, I was still a Christian, but just even even that experience, like just the entire culture difference. And then we ended up driving uh, from essentially um, this, um, this sort of, um, essentially Illinois University area all the way to Detroit to help a church like basically knock down this four-ton wall it's a really random mission trip we did and just driving through a couple of states to get there it's just so weird just seeing the differences and then you know it's really really flat Illinois and you've got this really like hilly region going into Detroit and you get actually get into Detroit and into Michigan Detroit and then you end up having this really bizarre like just all these houses that are just abandoned because of the whole collapse of the industry of the car manufacturing I'm like it's just another world like I just you just don't I mean, you see things like that here. You've got these, these. So there's a, a city called Liverpool, which has quite a lot of roads that go into it, where, where loads of these terrace houses are just empty now. And we kind of have it, but in America, it's a different scale. Like it's an entire city devastated by poverty, essentially, uh, from these when these car manufacturers went under. I just find it really bizarre. I mean, I was going to kind of push into this a bit more. So, I guess it's this idea of like presupposition and and how we have these presuppositions that then enforce the kind of way we say things and the, and the way we utilize things um i kind of think like it it definitely comes into ethics like are i think i like to think that my ethics are rooted in in my fundamental beliefs but more often than not my ethics are actually influenced by the the group of people that i want to be affiliated to so you know i could be listening to a sam like we mentioned sam harris so i could be listening to a sam harris podcast and he might start talking about i don't know something that i don't really know much about so it could be 
I don't know, um, child trafficking or whatever, some random subject he'll pick up on, like, really dark subjects. So apologies for going really dark straight away. Um, anyway, <laughs> he'll, he'll basically say stuff, and I'll be like, yeah, he's right, absolutely right. And, and I want to believe that's because that was in my heart to start with. And, of course, like, when I stop and think about it, it is. But I don't really ever think about it, if I'm being completely honest with you. And because he's brought it up, I want to almost align myself with his viewpoints. I think he's a very clever guy. And I, I don't know, like, do you do you kind of feel that with, with other people that you know and, and yourself and, and, I guess, America as a whole? Like, it... It's very much this ethics after the the group. Yeah, I think that's um, another kind of epistemological paradox, and I totally sympathize with you there. I, you know, I um, it's, Sam Harris is a great example uh, because I, I I've been uh, greatly influenced by him. And obviously, there, you know, there, there are things here and there that I, I disagree with, but it took a lot for me to disagree with. So, so the question is, so Sam Harris, you know, is, is a very controversial figure. There are, I mean, I think probably more people hate him than love him. Uh, you know, people think he's a racist. People think he's a sexist. People think he's a demagogue. People think he's a warmonger, right? I mean, you can, you can level all these criticisms and then you can go on to the nuances of what he actually said and why that's a misrepresentation and so forth. But, but he's a, he's a polarizing figure that a lot of people want to hate. And so I, you know, I asked myself why, why, and I've, I've had friends and, you know, and I'll go to the, I find myself in the very, very uncomfortable position of going to the mat for Sam Harris. You know what? He's not my brother. Like, I don't, you know, we're not like, he's not my buddy. Like, why do I feel? And it's, it's because that, you know, a long time ago, there was a point in my life where I was trying to figure out what I believed. And then here comes this guy that makes sense to me on a topic that I have thought about. Right. So I read Letter to a Christian Nation. Now this, at that point, this was something that I had already thought a lot about. And then I see that everything that he's saying, not only kind of aligns with my own concerns, but he's, but he's also adding levels to those concerns that I didn't think about before and, and really appreciate. And, and now, now what's happened is that Sam Harris has established a kind of credibility with me, right? I go, okay, I know that I can trust or, or appreciate this guy's thinking. I like, I like how he thinks. And then he brings up something that I haven't thought much about, uh, you know, jihadism. And I start going, okay, well, I know that he's a thoughtful person and I can, I can sort of hear this with an open mind and, and I, it's safe to start forming an opinion based on the kinds of things I'm learning from, here, from him here, even though there are people who I know disagree with him out there in the world because this person has established credibility with me. Uh, and, but, so, but then it comes into question, well, so which came first, the chicken or the egg? I mean, do you choose the people that you wanna to listen to because they reflect your values or do you choose them because they were the ones who changed your values? Which is the right way to go? And I don't know if there's an answer to that question, but um, uh, yeah, I, I, I totally sympathize with that concern. And unfortunately, there is a, you know, suddenly my credibility becomes an issue if I uh, have too much of, if I have too much in common with Sam Harris, right? Because then I just look like, 
I'm getting all my beliefs force fed to me from him. Like I'm drinking them, you know, through a straw from his podcast. And that's just now my epistemology. My worldview is just Sam Harris. I don't want that either. Right. So yeah, that's, I I find myself struggling with that a lot. Uh, It is, it's, it's a, it's a genuine epistemic paradox. And it's, there's, there's so many tangents want to go down here. So there's, it's, there's also the reality that we live in, even if we don't think we do, right? We, we do we do live in echo chambers. So Twitter will direct you to certain people and certain tweets and and certain things uh, based on what you've liked before and what you've said and how you, how you view things. So um, I was looking up tax the other day on, on Google um, and then me and my wife were going to do a workout on, on YouTube. So about four hours later, I went on YouTube, uh, searched this workout that we always do, hit go. And then there's an, there an advert, as there always is with YouTube. And it was it was about tax. I'm like, oh man, it's just so, it's so weird how these things are just coincidences. And I'm like, oh, well, that, that's what my wife says. I was like, this isn't a coincidence. Like, I literally searched for tax like four hours ago. This is, this is Google, like just knows what I'm doing every minute of every day. And it's just this weird, this weird reality that actually, even if we don't want to be like Sam Harris in our thinking, if we have followed him for a while or we've tweeted stuff or we've thought about it or we've engaged with stuff, um, the, the algorithms behind behind the internet will pick it up and they will start sharing more stuff like that and actually try trying to diversify your portfolio almost in social media or in the internet is so difficult because it will just root you back to to similar things which it knows you're interested in so you'll you, you'll get all the classic kind of um, atheists or you get all the classic christians if you're a christian or if you're a muslim you get all the kind of classic apologists who are muslims and it, it'll just keep pushing you into certain fields and i just find it fascinating especially with 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 the world of finance which i don't know much about but it's this it's this idea essentially that um the government will dictate your spending so if the government want you to save there'll be loads of incentives for saving which there are for students for instance you know if you're a student and you're going to look at going to university, they'll give you 5% interest. Whereas for me, a 32-year-old guy trying to save with two kids, it's 0.3%. It's, you know, it's, it's nothing, essentially, and because the government want me to spend. Right? That's what they want me to do. In my time of life, they want me to spend, spend, spend. And it basically, the government have this ability to do it. And it's, we're, we're just we're kidding ourselves if we think the internet isn't also able to do that. Um, and on, on kind of like kind of going off on this weird tangent. Sorry, I'll kind of move on to something else now. Um, but I was going to kind of say yeah, to no, you, I love it. It's it's it, it must be interesting. Like, I, I obviously don't know if it's true or not, but I can imagine you've got probably got some fairly fanatic fans, seeing that you're an actor, um, and you know you've, you've probably got people that have you know potentially stalked you online or whatever. You've you've, you've definitely experienced things that I will never experience as a as a bald bearded guy. Um, but um, it, it's it's this weird idea that actually we can become obsessed with the thing that gives us hope and meaning. So people will potentially latch on to yourself or to other actors or actresses um, or whoever they're, they're engaged with, Sam Harris, let's go back to him. They'll latch on to Sam Harris because Sam Harris has helped them get through their, their doubts because he helped them realize there was a way out of Christianity. And because of that, they're now obsessed with him. And it's this weird idea that actually we, we can become obsessive without even realizing it which is just so scary. Like we can become, you know, absolutely obsessed with this person or this idea or this argument um, because it, it has dictated a vast proportion of our worth and our value. And it comes back to the earlier question, but it's just, it just boggles my mind basically. It's a weird one. Yeah, well, and that, that, by the way, that danger can run the other way as well. Like I've had people who I'll just formulate a new opinion on something and express it, you know, in some kind of public forum. And, and I'll have people write to me or respond to me 
by saying, you know, I respected you. I thought, you know, I really followed you and I thought you were this critical thinker. I thought you were intelligent. I really, you know, I invested so much in you and now I just know you're a phony. You know, if you have this take, then I just, and they, you know, they feel betrayed. They feel genuinely betrayed because I have this one view that doesn't line up with, you know, all the other ones that, that, which were the views that, that in, in their case gave me credibility in their eyes. Right. And so, uh, and it's like, it's like, I, you know, a personal betrayal, you know, to find out that I have this one view that just doesn't fit with all the other ones. Uh, and, you know, people say, I'm unfollowing you. I can't, you know, I can't look at you anymore. <laughs> You know, literally, I can't look at you. I've, I've had people, and, and that's not just in philosophy, you know, like you alluded to, I've had people who watch my show uh, and they find out, you know, that I have some political position or that I don't believe in God or whatever it is. By the way, you know, I think, I think it's fair to say demographically in the United States, uh, most uh, SOAP uh, viewers are religious. Um, I think there's a, there's a cultural sort of overlap there. I think that the the vast majority of of our viewers are are religious and tend to lean conservative. Not to say that there's not you know plenty of exceptions, but uh, generally speaking, that's that's the demographic. Uh, and so you know, I I say something about religion or God not existing or whatever, and um, and it's like a stake in the heart, you know, and they just, they, they go, I can't even watch the show anymore. I can't look at you. I just can't look at you. I see the devil in your eyes now, you know, and you're like, yeah, I, I mean, I, I can't argue with that. You know, what, you, what, how can I change your mind? I can't, except to say, you know, Godspeed, so to speak. <laughs> oh, that's funny. And I was, I was going to ask you, kind of, as as someone who obviously kind of um, was very much exposed to Christianity when when they were younger, when they moved to this new when, in, to this new city with your parents, and then you were given all these Bibles, you were given mere Christianity. And my wife is going right back to the beginning, but I just thought it'd be really interesting to touch on um, because I think it, I think a lot of people don't like talking about it, but it's it's something that I find really helpful. Um, and I think Sam, again, Sam Harris uses this weird concept of spirituality, like we can still have spirituality without supernatural. Um, yeah, a tea, whatever, basically without the supernatural. Um, and so I, so for instance, I do lots of meditation. I use a, a, a range of apps, one of them being Waken Up, which is Sam Harris, but also Headspace, which is um, a really well-known one. Um, I think their offices are over in, in, in California, actually. But um, essentially, they're, they're, there are things people can do which can still give them a spirituality, which has nothing to do with a god or any supernaturalness at all. Um, is there anything that you do, Scott, to kind of fill up your tank to kind of help you not become Christian or anything, but to actually help you kind of connect with, with the things that might be going on underneath. Oh yeah. Well, see, that's so, you know, that goes right back to my childhood and the sort of environment that I grew up in. Remember like my, you know, my parents both kind of had this Eastern philosophy background. Uh, and so, you know, Alan Watts and DT Suzuki and, you know, my parents uh, meditate, you know, my mom w would go to this, this center and she would, you know, go on retreats and she would meditate. And um, my mom's a little more preachy about it than my dad. My, my dad is just sort of, you know, uh, kind of internalizes it. But um, yeah, when I was a teenager, I, I got really big into um, what is now just called mindfulness, you know, a, a Vipassana, I suppose. Uh, and, uh, 
And I found that, and you know, to, to have the, the conversations about the kinds of experiences you have and, and the kinds of things you realize about your own mind and holy shit, I'm like, I'm basically a schizophrenic. Like I'm just, I'm just chatting all the time. And then I get, I get upset about something and I spend the next four hours convincing myself that I'm right to be upset about that thing. I mean, it's like, how much more diseased can I be? Uh, and so, and then you get these little moments of, 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 uh, liberation from that and it just and you and you see i'm i I know i'm going to sound like sam harris when i say this but but you see that there is a baby in the bathwater you know worth avoiding throwing out you know with religion uh and i you know i'm a terrible meditator i you know i haven't done it in a really really long time i mean every once in a while if i'm like really really stressed out i'll you know I'll, i'll try i'll try to sit down and and you know do some mindfulness for like, you know, 15 minutes or something like that. But I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not practiced at it. I'm really bad at it, but I think what, what it, it, but it's still, even at the end of an incredibly frustrating session where you just realize how lost in thought, you know, you actually are, um, you still come away from it clearer. Uh, you, you still come away from it sort of with a, with a, a sort of, um, uh, euphoric calm you know so spirituality uh, you know uh, a lot of people you know you know take the sort of christopher hitchens route there and they go spirituality to me is you know looking at the sistine chapel and and you know reading uh you know great literature and seeing paintings and this and that and i i don't you know i don't think i don't like that i don't like thinking of spiritual reducing spirituality to just like appreciating art um, but yeah, I do think that there's something, there, there's something to recognize about our own, what it is like to be us. Uh, and I, I think there are still plenty of mysteries. I, I think Sam, so this was one of the reasons that Sam Harris had so much credibility with me in the beginning was because he was this guy who was incredibly critical of religion. And yet at the same time was speaking my language, the language that I grew up you know, before Sam Harris, it was Alan Watts. I mean, that was the only other guy that took you know, West and East and tried to, you know, create a picture of where they both work together. Uh, and, uh, and, and Sam Harris, it, you know, to, to my surprise, ended up being somebody who did that as well. And uh, yeah, I, uh, I, when I, when you get me talking about this subject, I, I end up sounding a lot like him, which I don't mean to, but. It's all good, bro. It's all good. I, I just find it, I just find the whole area insane because I think, so the more I now investigate it, the more I realize that things like religion or worldviews or all, all these things that we hold with such vigor and we're like, this is right, damn it. You fuck off if you think I'm wrong. This is, this is, this is my thing. Like the, the more we realize that actually we are telling ourselves a narrative consistently all the time and creating this idea that we have... Um, that, that we have this this eye within us. And it's just bizarre that, that when we actually strip it back and we actually go back to what is right at the beginning, this this consciousness that we have, and we can have a conversation for hours about where this consciousness comes from, which is, you know, I'm not an expert, but it, it's just this amazing ability to actually be able to realize that most of what you think is you is just chatter. It's just in, in your head and it's like waves lapping against the shore. It just comes in onto the shore and goes in onto the shore and goes. And it's just weird how we get so obsessed with stuff. So when I'm struggling at work and I've got someone that's having a go at me or I'm I'm struggling with something like me and my wife have fallen out or whatever, like we're just, you, you, you're beating yourself up all the time. It's going on and on and on and on. And then before you realize it, it's gone and you're onto something else. And it's this, 
it's just it's just weird how easy it is to drop something, but how we hold on so tight. Um, I saw this I saw this great episode of House with Hugh Laurie when he pretends to be American, which is very frustrating. Anyway, um, basically this is this is this is this is great. We're gonna, we're gonna talk about that in a minute. I'm gonna <laughs> okay. let you make your point, and then we're gonna talk about Hugh Laurie. I'm sorry. But sure, continue. yeah, yeah. I, I look forward to it. Um, <laughs> basically, there's this great episode in 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 House right uh, right at right towards the end where he is helping this guy who's really frustrated. I think he's lost his arm or something, and basically he was in some sort of conflict, had a grenade, was going to throw the grenade, and it basically blew up in his arm and he's got these all these muscles in the top part of his arm are really really tight all the time and basically um Hugh Laurie gets him to sit down puts a mirror down and then gets him to look at his hand that is actually able to be used and it makes him tense it really tight and then looks at his other arm so it looks like he's got two arms and gets him to relax and actually it's at that moment of letting go that he's able to let his entire self come back to where it should be I just find this is this is what we do with our mind and we don't realize it and we are hurting ourselves all the time we're holding on to things so tight and we're trying to claim this is true this is real I want to hold on to it when actually we need to realize that these things don't have the ability to to, to, to have the staying power they we're going to have to let go of things it comes back to our conversation right in the middle of this episode where we we're talking about the ability to hold things lightly so that we can do up that car as the wheel falls off as the engine needs to get redone as whatever happens and it's just so it's so important anyway go on Hugh, Hugh Laurie tell me uh, no that that was lovely I, I've actually I've seen every episode of House I don't I don't remember that moment but that's yeah that's great uh you uh, so I did a film, I did a short film once, an independent film with a, um, an, an actress who's really well known and she's, uh, she's really, really good, but she has a thick Irish accent and she and I both had to do a German accent in this film. Uh, and and she, she got on the subject of, of Hugh Laurie and she just said, oh, he's got the worst American accent I've ever heard in my life. Oh, oh it's so fake and phony. I've never heard anything as bad as him. I was going, what are you talking about? He, I, I'm an American and I'm telling you, he's got a great, I mean, it's a really standard, good American accent. She goes, no, it's not believable at all. And, I was, I, I, and so we got into an argument about it and I was going, I'm the American. I should get to say if he has a believable American accent. Uh, and it, so, so is, it, does his American accent sound phony to you? I think it's, I think, so for me, it was hearing him and then remembering, just like closing my eyes and remembering how, how English he sounds when he talks. I'm like, <laughs> it's just, it's just so fake because of how English he is. Not because it's bad, but when you hear him and he's, he's pronunciating correctly and sounding extraordinarily posh and British, it's just this weird, like, what? This is not the same person. It's just, it's strange. No, I think he did. I mean, he, he does a great job, but he's, he's one of the poshest people. Like it's his accent anyways, is, is, is uber posh, isn't it? It's, uh, yeah. It's funny. <laughs> That's really funny. Sorry. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm done with you, Laurie. But oh, it's good. good. It's good. I think it's interesting. Okay, and I, I kind of wanted, I guess, to, to touch on one other area then, um, seeing as I've got you for a bit longer than I thought I would, um, which is something that I've I've struggled with quite a lot, and I mentioned it in in, in Unbelievable, and I've had uh, I've got quite a few blog posts coming out about it. So I'm this is going to sound really weird, but basically I'm about two years ahead with writing as I am with publishing. So I publish a blog post essentially once a week on a Saturday morning here in the UK and I write two or three a week and basically I'm now basically two years ahead of where I'm going to be publishing which is very frustrating for many of my listeners um, so this podcast is far more up to date than my blog is um, but essentially there's this 
argument, which is the argument from reason, which actually some blog posts in the future, which are now in the past, are going to be coming out about eventually. And essentially, the, the argument from reason, just for those listening, is this idea that um, without a substrate or a, a greater narrative to latch our reason onto, um, we can't actually claim that the thing we're using our brain to process things is rational we can say maybe that evolution has given us the ability through the adaptive behaviors it's brought upon us to say this thing's more likely but actually we can't be rational about something it just it just isn't possible we can have vague moments of clarity but there's there's no actual ability to make rational decisions um which i actually have realized that i don't really have a problem with anymore but um i thought it'd be really interesting scott to kind of get your take on this and kind of work out i mean have you are you familiar with the argument from reason if you are like what what are your thoughts on it yeah well well there's different there's different arguments from reason i mean there's there's you can do you can kind of go the tag presuppositionalist route or you can kind of go the like the braxton hunter route where he's saying you know if if our, our minds are a product of evolution then we don't you know we if there's no free will then we can't possibly reason because you know our minds are just constrained by cause and effect. And how could you be rational if you were determined to uh, come to the conclusion that you did come to? Uh, you know, I think that we are. You know, clearly we're not uh, perfectly rational creatures. Clearly, we we struggle with rationality all the time. We we have empirical data about just how biased we are. We have names for all the different kinds of biases we have. We have names for all the different kinds of fallacies that we can make when we're trying to reason. But the fact is we're about exactly as reasonable as we should expect we'd be if naturalism were true. Uh, we're not, you know, we're, we're able to, to reason to some degree, but our reasoning is incredibly flawed. We are not as rational as we should expect to be if we were created by a, a perfect intelligent designer. We are far, far less rational. And I know there's a story in response to that. You have something like the noetic effects of sin. You have, you know, suppression of the truth and all of that. But, um, you know, rational, it, it it has a definition, right? I mean, so valid reasoning, sound reasoning, logic, we, we know what these things mean, um, right? And so whether or not you have free will, whether or not you were created by God, it, you, we can still look at a, a reasoning process that takes place in somebody's mind. You know, you give me an argument, you say all men are mortal, Socrates is a man, therefore Socrates is mortal. Yes, let's say I'm a determinist, you know, let's say it's true that, you know, I'm, I, it, I could not have thought otherwise. Uh, the, I, because of what I have learned about soundness and validity, because of what I have learned about logical fallacies, because of what, of what I've learned about epistemology and, and so on and so forth, um, these are all experiences that have an effect on me and now determine the way that I'm going to think from, from here on out. But I either find that argument sound, uh, which it is, or I don't. And if I find it sound, it's because I cannot help but recognize that it is in fact sound, right? And so the mistake I think that gets made there is that, you know, the idea that, well, if, you, if, you, if everything's causally determined, if you don't have this sort of libertarian free will instilled in you by God, uh, then, then you're not free to be rational. And to that I say, rationality is anything but free. I mean, if I'm, per if I'm a perfectly rational being, I am not free to come to the wrong conclusion. I am constrained, I am shackled to what I know about logic and validity, right? So I, 
things like um, you know volition and reasoning processes and um, uh, choice making, all of these are real. They all really happen. They all really exist. Uh, they just they just happen the way that they happen because they were determined to happen. But that's not what the question of rationality speaks to. Uh, and if you're gonna say, you know, how do you know that your cognitive faculties are functioning properly at all? How do you even know? You, yeah, you 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 think you know what soundness is, but if your if your brain is just a bunch of you know random chemicals firing, how do you even know that you have a coherent idea of what soundness in an argument is? How do you even know that you're re forget? There's, so there's two questions here, by the way. So one is how do we trust our our empirical fact, our, our, our sense perception, right? How do you know that there's a real world around you? How can you trust that if you see a rock over there, it's actually a rock? How can you trust that, you know, everything that you think you experience is happening around you? That's the one question. Uh, and then the second question is, how, how can you trust your, your sort of a priori uh, reasoning that doesn't depend on, you know, experience of the external world? Uh, and uh, if, if both of those are a problem, uh, I don't quite see how they're less a problem uh, uh, if theism is true, right? Because now you're not just helplessly reacting. The universe, it, it, on naturalism, the universe has no intention to fool me. The universe does not give a shit about what I think, right? The universe just is the universe and my brain is reacting to the universe as it is. Now, my brain may not get everything right. My brain obviously was evolved for survival and that's gonna affect how I perceive things and how I think and what my biases are. But but the idea that the universe is, is somehow pulling one over on me, like I'm not even here now, like I'm actually, in a you know in a completely different situation and I'm not in my kitchen or 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 the idea that I think I, I can reason validly but I'm I'm just being you know manipulated there's nothing to manipulate me on naturalism there is nothing available to uh to put on a performance for me whereas on theism you do you have an actual conscious mind that created you that is powerful enough to give you any delusion that it wants that can so if it if this is a problem on naturalism then it is doubly a problem on on theism i think that this this argument from reason i think you can make an argument from reason for naturalism which is to say you know if you were created if there's a, if there's an actual puppet master up there and you and by the way the response you know saying no but we know god would never do that to us how do you know that well you read it in a bible how did you read it in a bible with your eyeballs well how do you know your eyeballs are working well because the bible says that my eyeballs work that's a cert you're going to you're going to get trapped in that circle right that's an epistemic circle and and that's the or argument that they're sort of trying to make against naturalism so i think there's a, an uncomfortable symmetry here that most of the people making this argument don't want to see. Boom, love it. Yeah, it, it, that's so powerful. I think as well, it's that it's, it's it's that idea that if you if you think that we don't have any control, which I don't think we have any control particularly over what does or does not convince us is true, then we have this dire circumstance where if Christianity is real, the creator of the universe who expects us, I mean, if Christianity is real, expects us to put our faith and trust in him. But if you literally can't do that because you are not convinced by the evidence, you've got this black hole of sin, essentially, that you're going to get sucked into that you can't escape from. Uh, you are just 
predestined essentially to go into this this sin hole and into hell or everyone like whatever language you want to use essentially like you you just will not be able to get away from that and it, it's this idea of this all loving all powerful god like i mean yeah, there's loads of reasons why those things don't work together but um, if god is real and he is all loving he's all powerful let's grant those things we still don't have control over what does or does not convince us to be true and that means that we we can't just pretend that God is real and put our trust in him. If I, I say this to people all the time, like if, if you haven't been raised as a Muslim and I say to you, I, I, I need you now to fear, to literally wake up at 3am and fear the, the, the Islamic hell and to panic about going there, you will not be able to. I, I guarantee if you're like me and were raised a Christian to believe in a literal hell, you will wake up at three o'clock in the morning and fear the hell as you're coming out of your faith. And I still do sometimes. But it's just that like you, you just cannot control what does or does not convince you to be real. Like I, I now logically don't believe that hell is real but i still have this weird thing in my heart and my, my belly which wakes, wakes me up and makes me think it is like it's just it's, it's uncontrollable it's just bizarre it's like a night terror it's really strange i think it's, this is a, such a big part of it is that our reason is fallible and our our insights are limited and we weirdly we we have the ability to reason and rationale to the point we are now with logic and these sorts of professions almost because christianity got us to a point where we managed to have the enlightenment, which is where people looked around and go, and, and basically said, like, we believe that the universe is going to make sense because we believe in a, in a sense giver, in a God. But actually that very act in and of itself has created this ability for us to go, well, I don't know what is and isn't real because we just don't have the, this, 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 this innate ability to know. We can just assume what we do know and, 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 and go from that place. And it's just a real challenge to actually be able to, to reconcile those two things where, you know, yes, we can understand the universe to a point and we can learn more, we can understand more and we can begin to get our heads around more. But actually, um, we need to realise that we cannot control what does and does not convince us. But it doesn't mean we can't change our minds. I think, you know, we are decision-making creatures. We can, as you have done, you know, go away and read things and create YouTube videos and have those conversations which will move us along that track. But right now, a Christian might be listening and going, I just believe in God and I just do believe in God. And I'm like, okay, well, let's begin to pop that open and work out what it is that makes you believe it and then actually kind of like you know really delve into those like 12 reasons that you believe Christianity is real and then as those dominoes start to fall potentially they will end up walking away from faith and it's just a really weird a really weird situation which I just don't think we can get 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 a handle on really it's um it's strange yeah I think I think you're you're touching on uh, another sort of problem slash fallacy with some of these arguments, not all of them, but, but some of these arguments from reason, which is the, this smuggling in of this doctrine of, of I think it's called do doxastic voluntarism, which is the idea that we can choose, we have the power to choose what we believe, right? And that's just, that's just nonsense. I mean, that just, that, that doesn't, that doesn't map onto any worldview, even if Christianity is true, belief is always an involuntary reaction to what we perceive or don't perceive as as compelling reasons or, or compelling arguments or or experience or or whatnot i mean you could ask anyone in the world you know it, you know go ahead as an exercise you know try to become sincerely convinced at this moment that you're not having this conversation with me via zoom right now and you couldn't do it ask a christian be, can you choose to become sincerely convinced right now that god doesn't exist and no of course they couldn't they couldn't do it uh so I, uh yeah and i was going to tie that in to something else you said and i have forgotten so i'll leave it there that's cool. I think this. I think this goes back to right, right at the start of our conversation when we were saying it's so important to 
to to have the grace and the love in the conversations that we're trying to have because the very people that believe in God that are going to be pushing back against you that could be that troll on the internet which is just spamming you all the time like they they do not have the ability to choose what does and does not convince them and actually when we realize we are all in that boat it's just mad go on mate go on you sorry yeah 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 oh no yeah the only way the only thing i was going to say about that which is that you know it you that that is not to say that you can't make choices even if those choices were causally determined that is not to say that you can't make choices that put yourself in a situation uh that w is likely to change your mind right so the analogy would be you know i can't choose to have a bigger bicep i can't that's not that's not something that i can like voluntarily choose but i can choose to go to the gym and and do this exercise that is just going to build my bicep likewise i can't choose to become convinced that christianity is true but what i can do is start reading Plantinga and Swinburne and, you know, I, I can start reading philosophy. I can, I can start reading arguments that if they are any good are, are, are have the best chance of convincing me. And that's how we do it. You know, we don't choose, we, we put ourselves in positions such that, that, that our, that beliefs are forced upon us externally. That's all we can do. We don't, we don't choose what we believe from the inside out. Um, and, and that's what a lot of these conversations are about. It takes a kind of bravery, I think, even on a very, very, very small scale to, to put yourself in a situation where your mind can be changed. Um, and I think the only kind of people that choose to put themselves in those situations are the kind of people who are interested in the possibility of having their mind changed. I don't think somebody who's doesn't want to change their mind, doesn't believe that they ever should change their mind would even you know, start reading, you know, a, a book written by somebody critical of their beliefs and, and so on. So, yeah. 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 It's so true. Like you, you, you essentially get to this passageway where you have two doors and you realize that you could open this door and you could go down this road and see where this corridor leads, but actually it might begin to challenge the very things that help you have um, hope that the marriage that you're in is valuable or hope that the job you're in is okay or helps you with the depression that you're feeling because your children are autistic or, or whatever it is you know like I've, I've got a good good friend who's who both his children are autistic and uh, he finds so much solid uh, uh, solidarity and comfort in his belief system and like that's the last sort of person that I want to challenge because he he needs his religion and he says this to me like I need this Sam I need this to cope and survive to to be able to deal with my children in a way that you know gives me meaning and purpose I'm, all right man I'm not going to push you like you've you Essentially, he's seen that there is a door here, but he, just, he hasn't he hasn't pushed it, and that's okay. Um, I think it's, it's it's that choice that we can have, and it's 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 interesting when when you realise the door's there. Though I think in twenty years' time, when his kids have maybe grown up, he might be like, "Oh crap, that door's still still slightly open. Do I want to push this? Should I push this? Yes, you really should push it. Like I, I think I think it's so important to know as many true things as you can in your life. Like I, I don't want to just live my life on this pretense that everything I know is correct. I want to go away and go. I did my best to understand the most that I could with the time that I had, um, and I might it might all be wrong, but I've done my best with what I have available to me. Um, I think that for me is living living the best life possible. But there we go. To yeah, I totally agree. I think that was uh, uh, very eloquently put. Thanks, bro. And Scott, I guess kind of just, just to wrap up and stuff, I'm sure there's going to be many people that want to uh, get in touch with you and, and reach out and kind of, yeah, talk, talk things through, no doubt. What would be the best way for people to be able to uh, reach out to you and, yeah, and, and, to, and to continue this conversation themselves? Uh, sure, yeah. Uh, so um, 
maybe the easiest, the most convenient way is just Twitter. I spend a lot of time on Twitter. And uh, with respect to this subject matter, uh, it would be theoretical BS on Twitter. That's my handle. Um, I have the YouTube channel, which is uh, just uh, spelled correctly, theoretical bullshit. Uh, and um, those are really the two places that I do that have my most engagement, you know, with, with uh, philosophy and religion and stuff like that. Uh, it, some, some, sometimes people email me, you emailed me, um, and that's uh, uh, theoretical bullshit at me.com, M-E, uh, if they have like a, a, a specific question or, or want to challenge me on, you know, something in particular. Um, but yeah, that's the best way to get a hold of me. It's amazing, bro. I'll make sure there's links to all those in the description. So, listener, please look down there now, and yeah, you'll see links to Scott, bro. It's been it's been so good talking to you. It's been really refreshing and really helpful. So, thank you so much. Oh yeah, Sam, I've had such a great time, and I, I appreciate your thoughtfulness and your curiosity, and and um, yeah, you've you've been a great host and asked great questions, and uh, we'll do it again sometime. That'd be awesome. Thanks, bro. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. To leave any comments or thoughts, you can head over to YouTube. And to follow us on social media, or to see where else we are online, hit the link in the description. Thank you to all our regular givers for making this dream a reality. I'll catch you here at the same time next week. Enjoy the journey.